So I went to the ATM, withdrew the maximum amount, and put you know $20 here, $40 there, bought some envelopes, taped them to the back of a parking meter, the back of a stop sign. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention FundNetFlip because FundNetFlip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then fund that flips the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, it's time to enroll or re-enroll in a healthcare plan if you're an entrepreneur, a real estate investor. And the way to do that is by using Stride Health. The reason why is because you save a lot of money, $400 on average, they'll uh, save you on your healthcare plan over the course of the year. And they've got a personal concierge service that uh, the team doesn't work for an insurance company. They are your advocate, and they'll answer any health-related question that you've got. Uh, So we've got to do some sort of health insurance plan. Why not go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and see how much you can save. Um, Have a personal concierge service help you along the way and do something that you got to do anyway. So go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and check it out. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and we have got a best ever guest who in the last three years, his personal income has exceeded $1 million annually. And he focuses, I bet you're curious, he focuses on wholesaling, rehabbing, and new construction. He is based in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's also the founder of Hidden Cash, which was an online scavenger hunt that he's going to tell us more about uh, during the lightning round. Um, With that, I want to say hi. How you doing? Jason Boozy. Hello. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Yeah, my pleasure. Really, really glad to have you on the show and looking forward to diving into it. So let, let's get into it. What what would you say is, um, can you, well, first let's do this. Can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Then we'll get into the questions. Absolutely. So I started in real estate in 2005, basically, because I was broke and didn't really know what else to do. 
and a friend of mine just got his real estate license and was rehabbing one house. And I said, is there some way I can get involved with this? I don't have any money. I have like $2,000 in the bank at that point. Uh, my credit's not great. I don't have a job. I mean, I'm not doing a very good job of selling myself, but he said, sure, if you can find us a house that's off market, uh, he had a couple investors, then we can pay you for that. So I didn't have any training at that background, didn't go to a seminar, didn't read any books on how to do it. But I just kind of using common sense, started talking to real estate agents and hustling and networking and saying, you know, let me know if you know of any fixer uppers, not on the market. And those are the same strategies that I use to this day, some of them over 10 years later, as as of course, I do other types of marketing now. But I found a house, got it under contract, and basically within you know, a few days walked away with the biggest check I'd ever seen at that point, which was a $25,000 wholesale fee, just as a finder's fee for finding that house. And uh, ever since then, I've been absolutely hooked on real estate. All right. That is uh, quite a, a resourceful start, especially given your situation. How did you, really quick before we get into some of the, the mechanics of this, before you had this conversation in 2005 when you had $2,000 in the bank and you had no credit. What were you doing that led you to that point? I was actually, what weren't you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, I was actually in the mortgage business and it was a little bit of boom and bust because when interest rates were kind of coming down, everybody was refinancing and I was making ten to $20,000 a month. And that's what happened. I went through that in the late 90s, around 98. I went through that again in 2003, uh, early 2004. But by the time that 2005 had come around, uh, business was pretty much dead. Interest rates had crept up. It's a very roller coaster type business. So, you know, most of my spending, my savings were, were spent and I'd gotten into a little bit of debt. And like I said, I had a couple thousand bucks left and that was it. Didn't really know what I was going to do next. Was very entrepreneurial. So, you know, my last resort was, you know, getting a job working for somebody else, but I didn't really know what I can do as far as real estate, the vehicle. And I didn't know that you could basically make money from real estate without having your own money. I didn't know anything about wholesaling. And I just kind of figured it out as I went along. And that sounds almost incredulous because I didn't take any course or seminar that weren't really podcasts back then. But I just heard somebody say something about if you make a contract assignable, then just kind of overheard an agent, then you can bring in another buyer. And I just sort of improvised, had a little bit of help from my agent friend in figuring that out. And his investors ended up buying that property from me. And so that was my first wholesale transaction. But prior to that, I'd been in the mortgage business uh, for the most part. I'd had a couple other adventures of you know, living in New York and working a couple random jobs and teaching English in Asia and different things. But I didn't really have one consistent vehicle until 2005. At that point, I was 34 years old. Looking back now, if I had discovered real estate in my early 20s, you know, I think I would have been much happier and, and could have had uh, financial security much sooner. But I didn't really do that until my mid-30s. Let's, let's dissect the million bucks that you made, we'll say, last year. Mm -hmm. And let's put it into different categories proportionate to where how you made it. Uh, so you do whole wholesaling rehabbing and new construction and double closing uh, i want to add double and, closing and double closing i'm revising the notes right now can you uh break that up and say where the percentages are coming from for the million 
Uh, roughly, because I didn't yeah, count roughly, it down. Right. But uh, you know that actually I had to interject and throw in the double closing because I would say that probably 40% of my income, 40 to 50% over the last two or three years has come from uh, basically deals that I bought, did not rehab, and just went on to sell in the same condition. I call that double closing. Some people call it wholetailing. And whatever term you use, it basically means it's sort of a hybrid between wholesaling and rehabbing. People think, oh, you're either a wholesaler or you're a rehabber. Well, there's a third option, which means you buy it as a fixer and you sell it as a fixer, but there's enough meat on the bone. There's enough equity in it. you got a good enough deal that you can make sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'll give you an example. Just a couple months ago in San Francisco, I bought a house for $950,000. I sold on a Tuesday. I sold it that same Sunday for one in one hundred and fifty thousand more in five days. Now, I actually, an agent on that one, so I netted about eighty thousand after all expenses. But that's still pretty good for five days, and it was an all cash buyer. So nine, you cut out a little bit. I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, I hear bought that. it so for nine fifty. Yep, it was an off market deal. Pretty much all my deals are off market, so that's the common denominator. And, and that's, in my opinion, especially here in the San Francisco Bay Area, where we have a very competitive real estate market, if you want to get a deal that's below market, you almost always have to buy it off market. So I'll repeat that because that's important. If you want to buy a deal below market, you almost always have to buy it off market. Now, that's true in my area. It may not be if you're in a softer type of market. But if you know anything about the San Francisco Bay Area, our market is really hot and is pretty much tied or sometimes tops New York City for being the most expensive real estate market in the country per square foot and per median house. So it's a very competitive market. And if you want to get a good deal, that's not typically going to happen on the MLS, going on the multiple listing service. So I look for all these ways to find deals off market. That's what I've been doing since that very first deal I described to you in 2005, by networking with agents, by doing direct mail, by just being resourceful and uh, strategizing different methods to find those deals. So I bought this house for $950,000 on a Tuesday in late August. That same week on Thursday, I had an agent, you know, so I closed on the Tuesday on the Thursday, my agent put it on something called top agent network. We did not want to put it on MLS because we did not want it to be, tainting it if I end up rehabbing it. I said, if I can get $1.1 million now, I'll be happy with that. That's $150,000 spread. After paying commissions, I'm still making close to $100,000. If I can't get it, I'm going to rehab the house. But let me see if I can get my $1.1 million. So he put it on there on a Thursday. Over the weekend, um, You know, different agents were showing their clients the house. And on Sunday, just five days after buying it, I accepted an all-cash, no-contingent offer for $1.1 million. 150000 more than I paid for it. So that demonstrates my point because it's not like the house appreciated, obviously, $150,000 in five days. In five days, it did not really appreciate at all. What happened is that I got a deal below market and using some aggressive marketing was able to get pretty much the market price. And the house was a fixer. I didn't have to go through the whole rehabbing process and spending the time and money, potentially months and tens of thousands of dollars to do that. What is Top Agent Network? Is that nationally or is that just San Fran? You know, I'm not sure if it's national. I know they have it in, in L.A. as well, uh, but I'm not sure if it's in other states because I'm not active in other states. But what it is, it goes to the top 10% of agents 
and they see it in their inbox and it says, hey, I have an off-market deal. Here's the price. You can show it to your clients. So a strategy that I've been using the last couple of years is, let's say I buy a house and I think, let's say I get it for 800 okay? And I think if I rehab it, I can get 1.1. But if I can sell it now for 950 then why bother rehabbing it? Maybe I'll make a little bit less, but I don't have to spend months and money and worry about it and deal with contractors to do that. So let me see if I can get 950 now. Then I'll throw it out on TAN, so, which is Top Agent Network. We call it TAN. And the specific reason that I do that is I don't want it to be on MLS because if I end up that I don't sell it and I need to rehab and put it on MLS and people see it was on MLS a month earlier or two months earlier and didn't sell, that doesn't look good for me. So what I do is put it out on TAN, see if the top agents have a buyer for it, and if they do, great. Because right now, a lot of buyers will buy fixer-uppers. You know, a lot of buyers, they're just trying to get into the market, at least here. And I think some of this is national because you have so many, you know, fix-it-yourself TV shows right now that everybody thinks that they're a rehabber. So a lot of people don't mind buying a fixer and fixing it up exactly the way they like it. So you can actually sell a fixer-upper. It's a myth that you have to rehab every house. But I do rehab. I don't want you to get that wrong. But there's also a lot of money that I make by double closing. So going back to your question, probably 40% of it's from double closing. Maybe 30% is from rehabbing. And maybe another 30% is wholesaling. I'll give you an example. This year, 2015, which is coming to a close soon, I've done 18 deals. I've only rehabbed three. I just finished my third rehab. It's going on the market this weekend. So three houses that I rehabbed out of 18, uh, double closing was probably five or six, and the other five or six were wholesale deals. Uh, so many questions, so many questions. One quick ta- tactical question on the wholesaling: are there capital gains involved? Oh, yeah. I mean, the only way that you get around that uh, capital gains is if you hold for a year or more, and then it becomes a long-term capital gain. So it's basically short-term capital gains, which is taxed the same as ordinary income. So yes. I pay a boatload of taxes. Uh, I was going to say another word, but let's call it a boatload. <laughs> you feel like saying another word. <laughs> Fill in the blank load of taxes. Would this wholetailing strategy or double close uh, strategy work if uh, you didn't have Top Agent Network since you don't want to put it on the MLS? Oh, yeah. I've sold it without Top Agent Network. I've sold them uh, directly to uh, like developers I know. Uh, I've had agents sell them without going on top agent network and you know, you could go on MLS too and technically still be a double close. And I've done that as well. It just means that you're not rehabbing the house, but just keep in mind, if you put it on MLS, if for whatever reason you don't sell it for the price you want, then, you know, and then you rehab and put it back on the market, it's going to taint it a little bit. You don't, you don't have to use this top agent network at all. This. By definition, what I call double closing is is I buy a property and I sell it a short time afterwards without doing any work. The key to all of this is finding a blow market deal. Absolutely, that's the key. That's you yeah. know that's to me that's the start of everything. You have nothing until you have that, and then it's what do I do with it? Do I keep it? Do I rehab it? Do I uh, double close it? Do I wholesale it? What do I tear it down and build new construction, which is also something I don't know if we'll have time to get into, but that's also something very lucrative that I've been involved in. But you have nothing until you have a below market deal, in my opinion. 
All right. Well, let's talk about, let's dig in there. Finding the off-market deals. You said, you mentioned earlier, because I'm taking notes while we talk, you mentioned networking with agents, you mentioned direct mail, and then you mentioned just being very resourceful. Let's start, let's, let's address all three of these. Let's start with networking with agents. What's your approach? Well, my approach is to talk to as many as possible, and but not at the same office, because you don't want to, they'll get annoyed if you're talking to five different agents that are at the same office, right? Um, so, but I want to talk to 100 agents, and knowing that out of 100, there's only 10 of them that are going to be any good, you know, then that's being probably optimistic. For my purposes as an investor, maybe one out of 10 are going to be useful at all. The reason is that most agents are used to working with Joe and Jane home buyer, driving them around, showing them homes, showing them what's on the MLS, doing things within the box. And what we do as investors, most of us, and definitely myself, is very much outside the box. It's I don't want to see what's on the MLS. I want to make sure this is a good deal. Show me how this is a good deal. And even investors that I know that do work within the MLS, and there are some, that are successful doing that, they don't want an agent that's just going to be within the box. They need to show them how the deal makes sense. And if they keep bringing them deals that they don't make sense, both parties are going to end up frustrated working with each other. So you need an agent that's somewhat motivated, somewhat creative, and willing to work with you and willing to listen to what is going to make sense for you. Because at the end of the day, most properties will not make sense. Somebody told me once that what I do is like finding a needle in a haystack. And I thought about it, and that's actually very true, and I don't mind that comparison because it's true and it's a very lucrative needle. I'm going through a lot of dirt to find the gold nugget. That's another analogy I use. If you ever see those old like Western movies where they're panning for gold and they get like a pile of dirt, they're in the river, and they sift through it, and it's dirt, 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 and just once in a while, the little piece of gold in there. And that's what it's like looking for deals because most of them are not going to make sense. Otherwise, we'd all be buying 100 deals a day. How's that conversation go when you make that introductory call? Is it a call or is it a meeting? Uh, It could be a call. It could be an email. It could be a meeting. I actually have a virtual assistant now that emails some agents to try to see if they have anything uh, off market. And that a lot of times starts the dialogue. And she's actually located in Eastern Europe. So I don't have to pay her that much. And when they respond, I usually call them and follow up and have formed relationships from that. So the way it goes is basically I just, you know, introduce myself, explain what I'm trying to do. I'm an investor. I buy throughout the Bay Area. I'm just looking to make money. As the deal makes sense, I'll do it. I don't care if it's in San Francisco, San Jose, Redwood City, Alameda, wherever it is. You know, these names might not mean anything to your best ever listeners, but wherever... We have have a lot of California listeners. Actually, that's the state that's most represented. Oh, I see. Okay. Yep. Well, uh, but um, whatever city it is in the Bay Area, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't uh, matter to me. It's just as long as the deal makes sense, I will do it. So show me how this deal makes sense. And like I said, some of them say, okay, I'll call you and let you know. And a lot of them you never hear from again, but sometimes you do. And you just form relationships over time and you know, it's just uh, I'm constantly hearing about leads and I'm constantly right after this interview, I'm actually heading up to San Francisco uh, to go look at a, a condo that sounds like it's below market and it's from an agent. And I'm not even sure how I found this agent. I, I think uh, one of my bird dogs out there found him at a couple of virtual bird dogs and they only get paid if they find a deal. 
so that's uh, you know so I'm constantly evaluating leads and like I said most of them do not make sense but occasionally they do and uh, like about a deal and a half a month I end up doing about a deal and a half a month what's the main objection or thing that the agent says to you that uh, they are are wanting to kind of go a different direction what what's the common theme if there is one there's a very common theme and it's kind of a red flag for me if they keep doing it. They always t- uh, tend to try to steer me towards the MLS. Or I should say almost always. They, they're like, well, why don't you look on the MLS? There's good deals there. Well, I've been doing this for over 10 years, and I've been very successful. And almost invariably, I've seen that the best deals are not on the MLS. And there's multiple reasons why I don't like to deal with the MLS. So if somebody keeps steering you towards something, it's kind of like, look, if you're at a friend's uh, dinner party or an associate's dinner party and, you know, they say, well, would you have some pork? And you say, I don't eat pork. Well, if they ask you once, that's fine. But if they keep saying, well, come on, have some, have some, you're probably going to get annoyed because they're not really listening to you and they're not really respecting what you're saying. And even if you explained why that is. So it's fine if they ask me why they, why I don't want anything on the MLS, but if they keep trying to steer me towards the MLS then that's usually not a good sign. And the other thing is sometimes they just never call you back. You never hear from them again. You call them, you know, you get voicemail. So you just, I would say it's maybe one out of 10. And again, that may be optimistic agents that you can deal with because what we're trying to do here is find below market deals. And again, this is true even for buyers that look on the MLS because they have certain strategies that they employ. I met somebody very successful in my local market who does deals uh, from the MLS and does well. So it can be done, but even when it's done, it has to be done in a very, very specific way. What about direct mail? I do a ton of it. I just did 13,000 letters, 13,000 wow. letters that I sent out two weeks ago. Um, I am a little bit disappointed in the response, but I think it's a slow time of year. I only have about 10 good leads so far out of 30,000 letters, which is pretty low. Frankly, I'm being honest here. It's, it's a little disappointing. But, you know, response rates have really dropped. Response rates are very low. In general, if I can emphasize one thing to your audience, I talked to a few friends. I have a Oh, you asked me on my website earlier. I forgot to give you, and I'll send you the link. I have a Facebook group rather than a website that's oh, cool. for discussing real estate. And we have about 7,000 members, and I share tips there. And it's called Living the Dream. So I was talking to a couple of members the other day, and you know, the main reason they're struggling is that they make some of them like $5,000 or less per deal. And I don't know, for me, that wouldn't even cover the marketing expenses, let alone make any profit. So if out of 13,000 letters, I'm going to be happy if I end up with one deal out of it. But I'll be happy because that deal will probably make me $100,000 or more. So that's a pretty good return. And how much do those letters cost to send out? They actually cost, um, they cost a lot. They cost almost a dollar each. So you know, you're looking at spending $11,000, $12,000 to send out 13,000 letters. It's, it's like 90 cents or something. And uh, can you describe to us what that letter looks like? Uh, This particular letter that I sent out is just a white business envelope. Or maybe the one with the higher response rates. (laughs) Well, but I think it's timing. Yeah, no, I think it's timing because this was like an unusually low response rate. I don't know if it's the time of year or what it is. Uh, But let me also say this. The, it's only been two weeks, and actually the best leads I've found, they usually trickle in over time. They don't necessarily come in the first week or two. 
because the first week that I send out like a big mailing like I just did, and this was probably one of my biggest mailings, typically I'll do three to 5,000 letters a month. But most often your leads that come in the first week are the hate calls. Because if you think about it, somebody that just got your letter and they're really pissed off that you sent there to send them a letter asking to buy their house, they're not going to put aside and say, oh, I'm really mad now that this, this Jason Boozy guy sent me a letter about buying my house. I'm going to put this letter aside. I'm going to call him in about two or three months and I'll let him know how angry I am. That doesn't happen. If they're mad, they're getting the letter. They call on you right away. Take me off your damn list. Stop sending me these letters. Now, on the other hand, if somebody's thinking about selling at some point in the next year or so, they might get your letter, read it, put it aside, say, okay, I'll, I'll call them when I start a little bit more ready to sell. So I am expecting to get calls months later, and I've gotten calls as much as three years later from a lady who got my letter. So if this happens all the time that six months later or a year later, uh, I will get a call, and it'll be a good lead, and we'll end up doing the deal. They don't. Usually the best ones don't come right away. But still, you can expect in most hot markets right now that you will get a fraction of 1%. If people are saying they're getting much better than that, I don't know who they're mailing or what they're mailing to. But I've talked to other people that are very successful investors in my market, and they're saying the same thing, a fraction of 1%. So that's What's why the it's the letter important. say? The letter says that how convenient and easy I'm going to make your life, basically. And uh, you asked me about the envelope. It's, it's basically a white business envelope, handwritten in blue ink, because somebody taught me to do blue ink because it looks less like it's printed. And the letter itself is just a single sheet of paper, and it talks about this will be easy, there'll be no closing costs, there'll be no commission, and if you have tenants there, they can stay a little while. And if you're living there, uh, that's fine. We can work things out. I'm going to buy it as is. I'll make you a fair offer. Give me a call if you're even thinking of selling sometime in the next year. So basically, I'm emphasizing ease, and that's for my market. Now, other markets, people do these things like fast cash for your house, can close in seven days. That does not seem to have as much of appeal in an affluent market like mine. And lastly, resourcefulness. You mentioned that's one way that you're getting blow market deals. You want to elaborate on that? Well, it's sort of a catch-all. I mean, because my two main methods are networking with agents and doing direct mail. And then when I said resourceful, it's just like a whole gamut of strategies. Right now, I have, for instance, somebody in select neighborhoods that's placing flyers for me door-to-door. As we speak, <clears throat> unless he's on his lunch break, he is going door-to-door uh, with placing flyers in certain select neighborhoods. And that's on top of the direct mail that I do. So, Does he get compensated for the deals that he generates? And if so, how do you track it back to him? He actually put his phone number on it. And he's somebody that I trust and that doesn't know enough about real estate, frankly, to be able to do it himself anyway. And so he'll uh, get the leads himself and then he'll tell me about it. And then if we get a deal from it, uh, he'll get, we didn't even say how much, but he'll get probably five to $10,000. Now that sounds like a lot to many parts of the country where people are paying bird dogs 500 but we're in a very different market, and I'm not paying him an hourly rate. I'm just covering the expenses, the gas, the car rental, the flyers. This, this particular friend doesn't have a car, unfortunately, so I'm having to pay car rental. But this is something that we just started a couple of weeks ago. In addition to that, when he asked about different resourceful methods, you know, I look for short sales. That's the only exception to my MLS rule. If it's a short sale and we get it through the agent, then then we can do that. But I'm not actively 
looking for them as much anymore because they've kind of died down. I've gotten deals from referrals, just different networking. But the vast majority wholesalers, but I haven't found too many good wholesalers. The uh, One deal this year that I got from wholesalers, I've had people door knock for me, but haven't found too many people to do that effectively. So if you're looking at the effective sort of long-term strategies, networking with agents and direct mail have been by far the two most consistent methods I've used for the past 10 plus years. But occasionally you'll get a deal from a wholesaler, from a flyer, from door knocking, from these other methods. Boy, I don't even think I've asked you the the main question. This has been such a fascinating conversation. Um, so let, let's go ahead and ask you, uh, Jason, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, for myself, it was basically to uh, buy for cash flow. And it wasn't one person that I can point to that gave me that advice, but multiple people. You know, and I kind of ignored it for a long time. I was just wholesaling for the first five years in this business. And then when, you know, kind of sunk in that, okay, I want to have assets that actually produce cash flow. And that's when I started just in the last few years buying and holding rental properties. And where do you buy your properties? You know, I have a mobile home park in South Carolina. Um, but other than that, everything is here in the Bay Area, but it has to cash flow well, which is hard to find in the Bay Area right now, but you can find it if you get, again, below market, off market deals, and it's the right type of property. It tends to be in the lower middle to middle areas, whereas the high income areas, prices are so high that even though rents are relatively higher, they're nowhere near enough to cash flow. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read. Okay, fiction is Les Miserables, and that's because it's about the person's self-redemption. In real estate, it's Five Magic Paths by Lumley because it gives a really good overview. Best ever personal growth experience and what did you learn from it? Basically, the downturn in 2008, 2009. You know, I was doing really well before then and it was a blow to my finances and blow to my ego and the market totally shifted. I know a lot of people suffered during that time. I was one of them. And I learned multiple things and one of them was to be more nimble in adapting to a changing market, to market more aggressively, to network more, to not limit myself to one particular area, but expand more, and also not to hire friends because that was one of the mistakes that I'd made. Best ever deal you've done? One was a, buying a condo for 200000 and immediately reselling it. Again, this was completely remodeled, so it didn't even need any work, even if I'd wanted to do any. Sold it for three twenty. So from two hundred to immediately selling for three twenty. In terms of percentages, that's sixty percent. That's the best deal I've ever done percentage-wise. In terms of dollar amount, buying a house for one point five million and selling it one week later for two million without paying any commission. So a half million dollar net in one week without doing anything to the property. How did you find that that one prop, the one point five to two million dollar property? That one was direct mail, and the earlier earlier one was a referral. So that'll pay for a lot of direct mail when you make half a million in one house. Yeah, the the dollar per mailer doesn't sound as expensive when you're <laughs> making five hundred thousand on the property. That's only happened once, but this year I have the same thing happened, but I only made four hundred thousand. I'm so sorry. Yeah, and that one I bought for two million and sold for two point four a week later as well. 
what is the best ever way you like to give back? Okay, great. I get to talk about hidden cash. So last year, after that half a million dollar deal I mentioned, I felt very fortunate because I know most people don't get to make half a million dollars in a week or in a year, or probably most Americans will never see half a million dollars in their lifetime. And I basically did two things. One is I bought a duplex, which I just got in the short sale approval on for 420000 and it's generating over 4000 a month to this day. And then I was out with a friend one night and I said, I want to give back in a way that's fun to people. And we we're just brainstorming ideas and everything I said, he said, oh, it's too complicated. I said, well, what if I just hide some money around, put on a website and people look for the clues and can figure out where I hid the money. We're out in San Francisco. And he said, okay, that sounds not bad, but you should do Twitter. And I said, Twitter, I don't even know how to use Twitter. He explained it to me. We set up a Twitter account called Hidden Cash. And we went around San Francisco. I went to the ATM, withdrew the maximum amount and put you know, $20 here, $40 there, bought some envelopes, taped them to the back of a parking meter, the back of a stop sign, under some plant, and tweeted out clues that had no followers. The next day I contacted a local blog in San Francisco. They wrote about it. Within 48 hours, People Magazine was calling me, Japanese TV, French TV were contacting me, the BBC. Eventually I was interviewed on CNN by Anderson Cooper. I was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I was interviewed on Fox News. I was on Good Morning America. Too many other news organizations to mention because this just story just went viral and I kept expanding it to more and more cities. Did Los Angeles, did New York, did Houston, Chicago, even went over to Europe, did London, Berlin, uh, Madrid, Mexico City. It just became like this huge viral success and sort of became an all-consuming thing. So after two months, I had to stop it. But by that time, I'd given away over $60,000. You went you went to all those places in two months' time? No, actually, I had friends in most of those places that did it for me. So the only wow. ones that I did were in California and Las Vegas. But everything else, I had you know friends go to New York. I had friends in England that did England. I had a friend in Berlin. I have a friend in Spain. So, But it, it was you know, a crazy experience. And I gave away over $60,000, which in hindsight, you can say that was crazy. How did you give it? Why did you give away $60,000? On the other hand, you can look at it this way. It was a once in a lifetime experience. People had a lot of fun with it. And I also had just made $500,000 in a week. So to me, that was like a great fun way to give back. The way I normally give back is, you know, the boring, quote unquote, way of donating to different charities. But that was probably pretty exceptional. And, you know, if you look at Hidden Cash on Twitter, we still have over 600,000 followers. And when you send me the link to this podcast, I'll be happy to share it with, with them. Yeah, and I, I all I did while you were talking, I just Googled uh, San Francisco, Hidden Cash San Francisco, and then this USA Today story pops up. So um, very, very cool. What a unique concept. And I think that type of thinking only comes from someone who – has a type of success in business or that type of thinking helps your success in business, I, I should probably say. Um, really, really cool concept. Uh, all right. What is the best, what is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? Absolutely. It was to only be a wholesaler for the first five years I did it. I labeled myself a wholesaler. I never bought a property. I never held a property. For the first five years, I didn't own my home, I didn't own rentals, I didn't rehab, I didn't double close. So I was only a wholesaler. So there are deals that I know for a fact I could have made hundreds of thousands on that instead I made twenty or thirty thousand on. There are properties that 
I could have made you know a fortune on. If you just look at the story that I just told you, making four hundred thousand on one property this year, in a matter of a week, making five hundred thousand last year in a matter of a week. If I would just to wholesale those properties, I would have made you know probably chop off a zero. You know, and that's a big difference. I might say, well, that's still good. You're making thirty, forty, fifty thousand on a deal. But why make 30, 40, 50,000 if you can make 300, 400, 500,000? And sometimes those opportunities do exist, especially here in, in my market. So by only being a wholesaler from 2005 to 2010, that really limited me. Now, at the very end of 2010, what happened was that I JV'd into a deal because I was basically pressured by family members, let's do this deal together rather than you just wholesaling it. And I succumbed to that pressure and ended up making over 100000 which is more than I would have made by wholesaling it, although I would have gotten a good wholesale fee. And that just kind of started me down the path of, well, there's a lot more profit to be made at times by owning a property, whether it's rehabbing it, which is what we ended up rehabbing that property and making $400,000, or whether it's double closing. But you're just limiting yourself if you're only a wholesaler. And the way I think of myself now as an investor if the wholesaling is the right thing to do, I still wholesale a lot. If double closing is the right thing to do, I'll do that. If rehabbing is the right tool, I'll do that. But I don't think of myself as a wholesaler. And I also want to say there's a lot of people out there, and I've talked to some, that make the mistake that they're rehabbers. So they might not do a deal if there's no rehab to be done, even though some of the best deals are just buy it and sell it without rehabbing it. So think of yourself as an investor as my advice to your best ever listeners and not as a wholesaler or a rehabber. Those are just tools. You're a real estate investor. Real quick, the other mistakes that I made was also losing focus, which is something that, you know, it's a lifelong struggle because there's always that shiny object syndrome. Uh, not expanding my territory, I mentioned that. And uh, like I said, you know, hiring friends, which ended up costing me a lot of money. So now I separate my generosity in my personal life versus my business. My business is my business, exists to make money, period. And then I can, you know, do generous things in my personal life, which I like to do. I like to host boat parties on the San Francisco Bay. I like to take out my friends. I like to buy gifts for people. I like to give to charity. But it's absolutely essential that in your business, it exists to basically make you financially independent. And what's the best ever place for listeners to reach you? My email is what I prefer or the Living the Dream group, which I'll send you the link. The email is J as in Jason, A as in Apple, Y as in Yellow, R-E, like real estate, 01 at gmail.com. So J-A-Y-R-E-01 at gmail.com. And I will send you a link to the uh, group on Facebook because we have a few groups called Living the Dream, but ours has about 7,000 members and you're welcome to join and you can reach me there, ask me questions there. And I'm posting every day multiple things there with advice on real estate. Wow. What a what a, a incredible story. And from everything from the hidden cash give back program, scavenger hunt to you know, just your approach and how it's not about wholesaling. It's not about rehabbing. It's about what you call double close, what other people call wholetailing. Um, really, it's it's finding the best and quickest and most effective use of your time um, as it relates to the, the type of return. So on your example with the $950,000 house you got on Tuesday, and then on Thursday, you put it on a, a network called Top Agent Network, and it sold for 1.1. You made 
about eighty thousand whenever the dust settled um, after factoring in the um, the the realtor commissions. Yeah. Um, and the, the two ways that you find the off market deals, which by the way is the number one, like the foundation of it all. Uh, and you mentioned this a couple of times. If you want to buy a deal below market, then you have to buy it off market. Other people can do it successfully on the MLS because you know you mentioned you know some people. But your approach is you buy off market, and those two ways of finding off market deals: one, networking with agents, and you're very methodical about it. You talk to 100 agents, about 10 of them um, you end up working with. You don't want the MLS uh, properties uh, because if you well, you're just not finding the right deals and you have a system in place to reach out to those agents initially through your virtual assistant um, and then you have a conversation with them. And then two is through direct mail. I mean, you're spending $13,000 for each mailing. How frequently do those mailings go out? I kind of took a break now for a few months because I got about five or six deals off market, mostly through uh, agents' referrals. Basically, I hadn't done any I would say on average, uh, late on July average. to oh. now. So that's why I did 13000 On average, it's four or 5000 a month. But again, Got if it. I get busy, I'm kind of turning off the tap. Okay. So on, on average, four or 5000 a month, depending on the deal flow. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're, you're, then you look at the profits, the returns that you're getting on these properties. And my gosh, especially in the market that you're in. And I think that's another takeaway here. You know, you'd mentioned you know, earning 5000 Some Some wholesalers or wholesalers earn... Or wholesalers probably earn five thousand on a deal, and mm-hmm. you know the key is quantity. But really, the the key for you is is quality and the uh, dollar figures, and that's a benefit of living in a market that can can command that. So I think that's also um, a, a bonus, and um, because a large percentage of the properties in the San Francisco Bay Area are high higher dollar amounts relative to markets like you know, I'm in Cincinnati and, and other markets like that. Um, and then lastly, just being resourceful and having different team members in place to um, to help you out. So, you know, with, with that being said, just a, a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your advice. Uh, looking forward to joining that Facebook group. Best ever listeners, I'll add that to the show notes. And um, Jason, looking forward. We'll actually have you back on the show. I, I suspect that a lot of the listeners are going to like to hear a Situation Saturday or Skill Set Sunday episode, a special segment that we have on the show uh, with you. So we'll talk about coordinating that after afterwards. Until then, hope you have the best ever week. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But 
when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, So go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, it's time to enroll or re-enroll in a healthcare plan if you're an entrepreneur, a real estate investor. And the way to do that is by using Stride Health. The reason why is because you save a lot of money, $400 on average. They'll uh, save you on your healthcare plan over the course of the year. And they've got a personal concierge service that uh, the team doesn't work for an insurance company. They are your advocate, and they'll answer any health-related question that you've got. Uh, So we've got to do some sort of health insurance plan. Why not go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and see how much you can save. Um, Have a personal concierge service help you along the way and do something that you got to do anyway. So go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and check it out. 